I imagine that this is a kind of podcast to tell people what it is. This is the, it's not the, the kind of a polished up version of, aren't we all having fun? And isn't it, it you know, well, we are having fun, but nobody's making any money. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's essential. And this is why I want to do it because it's so important for, it's not just aspiring authors I'm hoping for, it's people who might want to work in the industry and they need to hear everybody's perspective and they probably don't hear very many authors. So, yeah, but also you're the beginning of the journey when it's about the book, the progress of a book. So the author is the beginning of that. No, I think that's really great. And um, yes, no, I, I'm, I'm all for that. But I did just think, oh, God. <laughs> well, someone's got to be at the beginning. Welcome to How Publishing Works, from Caxton to Kindle. I'm your host, Kate MacDonald. And today I'm in conversation with the prize-winning author, playwright and creative writing teacher, Alice Jolly. Welcome. Thank you, Kate, for asking me. It's good to have you. So we're going to start with the basics and please try not to be embarrassed. How many books have you published? I had to think about that question. I've published four novels and a memoir and a collection of short stories. Okay, so that's six titles. And how many prizes have you won? Oh, I, I, it's difficult to say because there's lots of sort of small short story prizes, but big things. I won the Penn Ackley Prize for memoir and I was runner up for the Rathbones Folio Prize um, for a novel. And I was um, long listed for the Undachi Prize, which is a novel, um, a prize for novels about place. Um, and I also won an O. Henry Award, which is for individual short stories, the best 20 short stories in the US. That's pretty good for only six books, plus short stories outside that. Uh, good innings, I think. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I guess so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm putting those credentials up there so we can drill down to the details with those in mind. But the first thing is, why do you write? And what makes you want to publish what you write? Um, it's a really good question because part of me wants to say I need to write for my sanity. You know, I was just born to write. And if I don't write, then I really, really will lose my mind. But then <laughs> it's also the case that writing also kind of helps you to lose your mind. So it's sort of not a straightforward question, I guess. Um, I just have always written. I mean, I write diaries. Um, I've always just written all sorts of things and I read loads and I just love books. And I guess it's a way of understanding the world. You know, you you see things that puzzle you or that you can't understand. And you think it'd be really interesting to explore that. Um, so, yes, it's it's an investigation and an exploration. And sometimes it's a real pleasure, but sometimes it's actually just a bit of a struggle. But, um, yes, I mean, I am always thinking every time I finish a book, I think, oh, I'll never do this again. But I always start the next book immediately, so <laughs> even I know it's rubbish. So. Yeah. so then why publish? Why do you make the move to take your book and then send it out into the world? Um, I think that writing's a conversation. You know, I'm not writing for myself. I am writing for an audience. It doesn't need to be a very large audience necessarily. But you definitely want to be... Yes, in conversation, as it were. I mean, that doesn't mean you want to always have conversations with readers, but you want your book to start conversations, even if you're not part of those conversations. And yes, otherwise it would be, 
you know, a conversation with only one person in it, which wouldn't really be very interesting. So, as I say, you don't need some huge audience, but you do want somebody to read it and say, oh, yes, I get it. Yes, I see why you wrote that or I see why you wanted to write that or it had this effect upon me. You need that sort of sounding board, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the voice, no, the response of the reader is important. But you, you've moved around quite freely in genre. So you've got memoir, you've got novels, you've got short stories, you've written long-form verse fiction with Marianne Sate Imbecile, which is my absolute favourite of your books. You've written columns and reportage and plays. Is there a form of writing that you haven't tried yet that you're considering? Um, I have never really very seriously written poetry. Um, When I was very young, actually, Kate, back at the time, probably when I first knew you, um, before I even had children, I I wrote poetry and I sort of made a little collection of poems, I think, for my son. I've just recently, I've suddenly become very interested in poetry again. And actually, during lockdown, um, I was listening to lots of poetry podcasts and reading lots of poetry. And I sort of thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to sort of write it again? And then I sort of started and I just thought, oh, do you know what? Maybe I'm really not very good at this. (laughs) (laughs) I was sort of fascinated by it and I I sort of longed to know more about it. And I'm excited to learn about it and read. Oh, okay. Well, you've got a pretty big body of work otherwise. So let's go through the process of writing. How do you write? Is it long form or is it straight onto the screen? Um, straight onto the screen, yes. Yes, and so I do that and I, t- I tend to write, always to write in the morning. I'm Ideally, I would get up at about seven o'clock and not get dressed and not do anything and just start writing and write till about 11 or 12 or something like that. But actually, I have children to get to school and things like that. So I don't really get going till sort of 8.30. But I sort of try to keep going until 12. And I sometimes do a bit more in the afternoon. But I, I always feel, you know, if I haven't really, if I haven't really got going by 10 o'clock, it's probably not going to happen because I am somebody that finds it easiest to work in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And do you find it we, we both have children, um, and as a mother, you learn to use every 15-minute slot to its greatest advantage because that's the only time you have. Do you find you work better if you have a deadline? You know you've got to get out of the house at, say, half past two to go and do errand to pick up child, so you've got to get something done. Or does that not drive your writing? I think... Um, there's two different things there. I think, yes, you definitely, and particularly when I had small children, you really thought, right, I need to just crack on with this because this is the only time I've got. But in terms of actually having a deadline, I, I can find that a bit of a killer. I know when my second novel I wrote missed the deadline by quite a, a long time. And I kept thinking, I need to do this quicker. I need to get on with it quicker. And actually, you know, I think I'm just beating myself up. And I don't think it actually ever made the process work, go any quicker. So, but it's a, that's a complicated one because I know when I've done plays, they've been commissioned. And so the deadlines are often quite short. That is interesting because what it means is that you've got to take decisions early in the process. You've got to say, right, this is what it is. This is how it's going to work. This is who the characters are. Um, Whereas if I didn't have that deadline, I'd spend a long time playing around with all that stuff. And I think I feel that if I do something quickly, the work is thinner. I think writers need time to play. You know, I think you need that time of just 
thinking, is it this, is it that, trying out several different things, taking time. And I think that eventually does add to the to the quality of the work. But I did sort of enjoy the plays in a sense because it because I am somebody that finds it difficult to take decisions in books. And because it was making me take decisions early, I did think, oh, yes, I can do this if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So some writers tear through a first draft right to the end and then revise again and again and again. And others will chip away from the first paragraph onwards, sort of constantly refining but pushing forward all the time. Does the way you work fit into any of those methods? or? Um, it definitely fits into the very quick first draft. And that's also always the advice I give other people. You know, when I'm looking at students' work, I'm always saying, push on through the novel, go further, write more, because... I, I, as you say, there clearly are people who don't take that approach and that works for them and that's absolutely fine. But I need to see the shape of the whole thing. So I am definitely the quick first draft person. And actually, I can write the first draft of a novel in about three months if I just sit down and get it out. And the rule I have for myself is you can't go back and change any of it. So however bad it gets, even though the names of all the characters have changed, even though, you know, somebody who was born in the 60s is in their 50s, in the 80s, you know, the whole time frame's shot to bits and <laughs> the rest of it. I just say, no, you just, just, you're not allowed to go back. Just mm. keep keep writing. Um, and I just find that hugely useful because I think then you've got something and you then you know and then you know the vast majority of my writing process is then taking that all to bits again and again but yeah I definitely um and I think it's particularly um, interesting I find because the undoubtedly the most difficult bit of a novel is the very beginning of a novel and you can be caught in a thing of sort of rewriting the beginning again and again and again and actually very often you don't sort out the beginning until you finish the whole writing process so again you know I'm always saying to people that don't waste time just going over this again and again because perhaps you're just going to scrap all that stuff anyway you know you may decide at the end actually I don't really want any yeah, of that yeah I think that's the other thing is that I like the loose first draft because I think if you polish things a lot, then it becomes hard to chuck them out. So if you keep it all quite loose and it's all really badly written, it's easy just to think, right, I'll just get rid of that whole section of it or whatever. Whereas once you've sort of made it rather perfect, you cling on to it and that sort of clinging on is dangerous. You have to kill your darlings. So when you have begun to write, do you know that it's going to be a book? Does it does there come a point when you think, actually, yes, this is a book or this isn't going to be a book? I should stop now. Um, I was, I think it's there've been a couple of things I've sort of started and then thought, no. But overall, it doesn't really happen to me because I suppose what I'm focusing on always is the story. And if I think this is a good story, then I'll keep thinking this is a good story. So then there's a huge battle to find how to tell the story. But there isn't a moment when I think, you know, this was just never worth writing about. You know, because I probably just wouldn't have got into it yeah. if I hadn't felt, yep, this is definitely a good story. So, um, yeah, in general, if I've started something, I'm going to keep going. So let's skip the next 18 months or so. And you've got the final draft of a new book. And it's final enough for you to be able to let someone see it. Do you let people see drafts before you reach the first public one? I mean, is it as clear cut as that? Yes, I do let people see drafts, but I'm very, very careful 
who I let see a draft. Um, and I have somebody who is an editor and I work with her and she um, looks at what I've done. And there's a few other people who I could potentially ask. But I know that, you know, on writing forums and things, there are a lot of people who've shown their novel to their friend and their friend didn't like it. And I'm just like, just don't do that. First of all, you're going to really mess up a lot of friendships. It's very difficult for somebody to give feedback on something written by somebody they like, particularly if they don't like it. Um, and it's a specialist job. You know, you don't, you know, you don't get your friend around to do the electrics or the plumbing. Um, <laughs> No. If people are writers themselves or if they're in the editing and publishing world, they've seen a lot of very imperfect stuff and they have a sense of how it might be improved. The average reader obviously only ever sees a book that is published. And so, of course, they're quite harsh because they're thinking, well, this doesn't read like the published books I've read. So, again, have it, you know you need to be showing stuff to people who are professionals in that world because and also what you want somebody to tell you is how to fix it. So somebody just saying, oh, I liked it or I didn't like it is, is no help to you. They've got to be able to mm. pick why, why that is. So, yes, it is great to have people to read, but I do think you've got to be careful how you do that. Yeah. And when do you send it to your agent? When it's really pretty finished. Um, yes, I wouldn't. I mean, obviously, I have a relationship with my agent, so that's slightly different. I mean, certainly if you're sort of an ex aspiring writer, you know, again, when I talk to my students, I say, don't rush this to send this, you know, unless you're really, really sure that this is absolutely as good as it's going to be. And some people say, and people say to me again, well, I sent it to an agent because I just sort of wanted to get some feedback and see what they thought. And you're like, no, you've got one shot with these people. And so that they're not the right place to go for feedback in general mm. because if you've got an ongoing relationship with somebody then that's a different thing but even then you sort of don't want to waste their time on something that has still you know it's still got a long way to go I think you need to be part of writers groups and whatever um and get your feedback and assistance there and then send it to the agent when you're pretty sure that it yeah. needs to be and not assume that the agent is going to do some editing work on it no, not really, because I think increasingly that doesn't really happen. Um, mm. So, you know, I think perhaps it once w would have done, but now I guess people haven't got the time. Um, I, you know, I think agents are under a lot of pressure. They're very squeezed. And so, yes, they're not They're highly unlikely to spend a lot of time editing anything. Yeah. So the agent loves the book and says, yes, I can sell this. Do you have any input into which publisher, the agent, or which editors the agent is going to send the book to? Or do you, I mean, are you involved at all in, the, in those discussions? Or do you just go, right, deal with it? Um, no, you are involved in those discussions. I mean, I think in the past, the agent just suggested a list of people, and I didn't really have any way of knowing whether that was right or not so I would have just said oh yes that's great if that's what you think but certainly she would have told me what she's doing now because I sort of know a few more people I might say oh you know you haven't put this person why not and should we try them and whatever so yeah it's definitely a collaborative process but it's the agent's job to know who it should go to and that that's their sort of specialist thing and if they're a good agent they're having lunch with those people and they're in touch with them quite regularly. And that's what the point of an agent is, is that they are dealing with the publishers on a regular basis. And so they know who to send it to. And also 
again, you hope that it's the kind of agent where when a, the publisher gets a book from that agent, they think, oh, they've sent a book, right, I'll take a look of it. What mm. that agent that they think, oh, my God, you know, the last 20 things they've sent me, I haven't been interested in at all, so I'll put that off for another day, you know. And what is it like when you get word back that a publisher has made an offer? Do you get to see the details and discuss them, or do you just say... For me personally, I haven't um, really been in com- situations where there's a lot of people making offers for my work. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty sure that, yes, when there's several publishers and they've got different offers to make, then that's all discussed between the agent and the publisher. I mean, I think in the real world, writers in general, you know, if they've got an offer from a publisher... They're probably, you know, they're probably going to take it. That may well be the only offer. And also, the truth is that writers are in an incredibly weak mm. situation. I mean, agents do, and this has happened to me, go back and say, no, we want more money. And sometimes they do get a bit more money. Um, but, yeah, overall, I would say that the writer's ability to be negotiating a lot of stuff, unless there's huge interest in the book and there's several publishers interested then really you're probably pretty much accepting what you're getting. Yeah, you take what you can get. And have you ever rejected a publisher's offer? And what, what would be the, 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 um, the conditions that would make you walk away? I haven't done it, and I don't really know many people who have. I certainly know some people that I think, oh, my God, you know, financially that's just a really abysmal offer. Um, and, but also I know that obviously had they got a better financial offer, they would be taking it, but, you know, to be entirely blunt, there are writers you would have heard of who are being offered £2,000 for a book. Mm, that's not very much, is it? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely terrible. I mean, my first two books were sold to Simon & Schuster and that was 35000 for two books. Very few people are seeing that kind of money now. Um, Unfortunately, you know, the situation has really turned very difficult. And again, you know, if you're offered that £2,000, then you're thinking, well, this is a mainstream publisher. It does give me a chance to try to get the book out. And maybe that's what I have to accept. But I mean, that's probably two or three years of somebody's work. So it's not that this doesn't work by a factor of 50%. It's that it doesn't work at all. You know, it's really not, not. I mean, who would who does do two or three years pretty solid work for £2,000? I mean, we all know that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, you have to live on something. And then, yeah, it's it doesn't make any sense financially at all, which then, which is probably a different conversation. Why do you write if it's not for money? But that is a separate conversation. So let's assume you're contracted. You've got the contract, you're happy with it, and now you're in the editor's hands. How involved do you get with the editing process? Well, I try to send my books fairly finished so that there's hopefully not going to be a huge amount of editing, and I've generally succeeded in that. I've never really had a book very heavily edited. Um, But I absolutely love editors and proofreaders, and what I would say is that you know, I think, right, I've really worked on this. It's, you know, really as I want it to be. And it comes back from the editor and then after the editor, the proofreader. And at both stages, it's just covered in comments. And you're like, what do you, you know, what, what's this? And 
when you look at it, it's full of mistakes, you know, <laughs> and you can't see it in your own work. And no matter how meticulous and careful you think you are, you will be utterly shocked by how much stuff in there needs changing. And lots of it's sort of tiny little changes, but nevertheless, it, you know, again, when people say, oh, well, you know, I, um, I didn't get a, you know, an editor or a proofreader because I was pretty sure the book was how I want it to be. I'm just like weeping in the corner by that point because it's just, <laughs> no, 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 you know, it will be full of mistakes no matter mm. what, you know. What was it like when you got the, the corrections back for Marianne Said Imbecile? Because that was a very particular book. It's in long form verse. It's um, but it reads as prose, so just the way it looks on the on the page, and but it's not poetry. It is fantastic prose, and it's a phenomenal story. So, was there a difference in the way that the proofreaders, proofreader and the editors worked on that? Um, yes, I think because it's a tough one to edit and proofread, you need somebody very good, and I was lucky to to have that and to have somebody that was very sort of sensitive to the book, and. It's never the situation, really, unless unless the, the editor's just telling you there's something that's factually wrong. But overall, the editor is saying, should this bit be cut? Um, or I don't think this is quite clear. Should it be changed like this? So they're sort of, you know, they're not laying down the law. They are making suggestions. And very often you look at the suggestions and think, yeah, you're right. That isn't actually quite clear. Um so yes, that that was a tough book to do, and and it required somebody who's very good at that job. And I also think, and then you probably know this, Kate, from your work as well, that actually being a good editor is a very rare skill. You know, there's a lot mm. of people doing it, but people who are very good at it are quite rare. And also people who just have that ability to kind of stand back and and say something like, "If we change the order of these two chapters, maybe that would work." And you just suddenly go, "Yeah, that's absolutely right." I think that's the other thing is I usually find that editors are sort of pushing at an open door when they say this needs cutting or this isn't clear. I'm thinking, yeah, I sort of half knew there was something wrong with that. So, but it's it's very skillful, and this is why publishing is expensive is because that's a lot of time from a very specialist and skilled person, um, and also it often happens more than once. You know, you do one run through and then another. So. And it also, it's very time consuming. You know, people say, oh, but you know, I got a deal with a mainstream publisher and I'm going to wait 18 months for the book to be published. And I'm like, no, you're, you're probably going to need that time. I mean, a lot of that is publicity and marketing, but even mm. just to get the text of the book right, it's certainly going to be six months of back and forwards with checking this and changing that and, you know, all the rest of it. There's a lot of work in it. Mm, yeah. Marketing, you mentioned, this is also something you presumably have to do almost immediately by supplying a basic photograph and biographical material. But what else in marketing does the author have to tackle? Um, I think overall, the author sort of doesn't actually technically have to do something, but um, authors have finished up doing more and more. And that's even authors with mainstream publishers are doing that. Um, I mean, I think one thing is that a lot of it has to happen before publication. So, for example, if you want reviews, you can't publish the book and then try to get it reviewed. You need to, to have done all that, all of that beforehand. Um, so, yes, it's a complicated one. And also, I think sometimes people finish it up. And this has slightly happened to me in a long time ago, um, not recently. 
that sometimes publishers are saying, well, we'll do this and we're going to do that and we're doing that. And then you sort of realise that actually they haven't done it. And then you think, well, now I better try and start doing it. And you're thinking, I just wish we had had an honest conversation at the beginning about what they are and aren't going to do. Because if they'd said they're not going to do it, then I would I would do it myself. So, uh, yeah, it's quite variable, I would say. Yeah. And what do you enjoy most about the, the marketing, the pre-publication marketing? Um. Hmm, to be honest, uh, I think I, I, I don't enjoy that that much. Um, and it's all a bit nerve wracking and whatever. What, I think what I do enjoy marketing is when the book's out. If you go to, um, you know, a lovely literary festival and you meet really nice people or you go to book groups, when people are sort of reading the book and you're talking to them about the book and, and, and that's lovely. Um, a lot of the rest of it is just a slog and it's also just quite humiliating you know you can send email after email saying i can do a reading at your bookshop or i can do and you you just don't get anything much back and it's you know sometimes when i've had days when i've had to do that i've sort of had to kind of bribe myself with lots of coffee and cake and i sit there with a list of 10 things i've got to do and i sort of push myself to do it and i just and i think what is difficult about it is the fact that in general the answer is no you know or you don't hear from people so it's a lot of putting stuff out there again and again and again and just not hearing anything. Mm, yeah. And that's why marketing par- departments are necessary because they can do it as a third person and not get the personal feeling let down and feeling nobody loves me and I've, I've just made this thing and nobody wants to read it. Oh, yeah. Let, let's talk now about um, Unbound, which is a crowdfunding publisher, and you've published twice now with them. Now, why did you go down that route? Why did you approach Unbound? Um, I went to Unbound first because I couldn't sell a book. I'd written a memoir and um, I, my agent couldn't sell it and she was very bitterly disappointed and so was I. And she said, would you think about doing this? And I thought, well, that's not what I thought I'd be doing, but um, I'm happy to give it a try. So that was how it started. Um, and obviously, Unbound is a crowdfunding publisher and... I suppose what I'd say about the crowdfunding is it's both absolutely dire and occasionally really wonderful. I mean, again, if you're trying to crowdfund, you're putting your book out there and asking people, you're basically asking them to pre-order, to sign up, to say that they would like a copy once it's published. And so that's that's what you're doing. Um, and again, you know, it can be really quite soul-destroying, but it can also be totally brilliant because you can get fantastic support from people who you never thought would be interested um so you know it definitely has its highs and lows and it's it's very hard work um but once the crowdfunding bit is done then unbound operates like any other publisher and as a publisher they're excellent in terms of all the sort of editing and the book production and they make very beautiful books and that's important to me you know i want to see my work beautifully presented i don't want to have a kind of curly shiny cover and horrible paper you know that doesn't matter to some people but it doesn't matter to me and also Unbound are just they have a great team and they're sort of fun and interesting to work with and again you kind of think well wait a minute this is meant to be about selling books but given that actually you may not be going to sell a lot of books you know if you're writing and you hate the publication process and you don't get on well with the publishers and then you don't sell any books at that point you are really wondering what you're doing whereas so it matters that you know you work with people that you like and that they're genuinely enthusiastic about what you're 
doing and yes unbound are great but the crowdfunding is hard Mm, yeah it is not for everybody absolutely do you think you will ever self-publish or have you self-published um i don't think i ever would um i mean what i should say is i'm talking very much from the perspective of a person writing literary fiction and i don't think literary fiction works really self-publishing it has and does work for some genres of uh, of publishing but even then you know it's, it's worked really well i think for a handful of people and for most people it will not um work well i think what people need to understand about it is that printing and publishing are two different things we're in an era where anyone can print a book you know you can get your local local print shop to make a book for you and it will quite possibly look quite good but then you've got a box full of books and how actually are you going to get those books out and you will know Kate that distribution is everything it is everything yeah self-published books do not get into waterstones and that's essential no and actually they don't even necessarily get into your local bookshop because your local bookshop seller is a very hard-pressed person and they can't mm. afford to carry stock for a long time that they're not going to sell. So they might take a self-published book. But if they say to you, well, no, no, we're not going to take your book, even though it's about our local area, you know, they're not being spiteful to you pers- personally. They have only got so much space and they, like everybody else, they, they need to sell some books. Yeah. Can we talk about what I call the curse of the debut author? Now, in the book trade, in the bookseller, every week there are, Two or more stories about a splash new debut author, usually a woman who's quite young and pretty and is her her first book and two pages, photograph, looks gorgeous. But I've also heard from a well-established author in romance fiction that her new book, her agents wanted it to be issued under a pen name so she could be marketed as a debut author. And that seems obsessional to me because it's all about chasing the new story Um, at the expense of the second book author. It's like everybody has to be a debut author, but what about the rest of the authors? How is this going to end? What do you think about that? I think the whole thing is dreadful, and it's been going on for years. After I'd written my first two books, um, I was told, oh, well, you know, this new book, um, I think we need to change your name. And I said, well, does that work? I said, because what if I get interviewed, then there's a photograph of me and people who know me are thinking, well, that's Alice Jolly, but it says that her name is so-and-so. So I said, I can't see how this is going to work. And then I said, um, the other thing is, it's lying. You know, it's a, a sort of, and I know that there's a long tradition of pen names or whatever, but that, I think that's slightly different. I mean, this is definitely, you know, pretending that a new person has written this book when they haven't. And I just think it's not really okay. And also for the people who actually are debut authors as well, the situation I think is fairly bad because, you know, there's been a lot of discussion recently about the mental health of debut authors. Well, the problem is that, that, you know, you're having your sort of brand and everything built up and, you know, you're being told this is all going to be fantastic. And you're not being told, actually, the reality is that unless that book sells really quite well or unless it wins a prize of some kind, you may struggle to get ever get a second book published. And so it, it's all just it's all just stupid. I mean, it's like, you know, if I was going for brain surgery, I wouldn't say to you, Kate, you know, I've got this great debut brain surgeon. <laughs> no, no, thank you. 
run away screaming. Good Lord. In what other industry is inexperience a selling point? It's just one of the many crazy things that's happening in the publishing industry. That Yeah, it, it just it drives me mad because it just places so much strange value on newness and freshness. And this is the first time this person has published a book. It's not valuable. I mean, new ideas, wonderful, but inexperienced writers publishing a very poorly written book because it is their first. That's not attractive. I, do, I just don't get it. No, and it is just this, you know, huge push to sell, which I do, I do understand. But then there's some big questions we're not asking ourselves, you know, such as, are we selling books far, far too cheaply? And are we publishing far too many books? You know, there are big structural questions. I think publishing far too many books, certainly, and publishing far too many of the many books. So many books are just pulped and remaindered. Yes. No, and I think, and, and I think um, you know, to me, that's really interesting. I'm increasingly very interested in the environmental impact of publishing. As we think books are nice and, you know, it's good for people to have books, we tend to not look at that very hard. But actually, it's an industry with a massive environmental impact. And also, a lot of that could be changed if the structure of it was changed so that so not so many books are pulped. It's interesting that I've looked and you can't actually find how many books are pulped in the UK. And I think you can't find it because it's a fairly eye-stretching figure. I think so. I think if you went through publishers' accounts and looked very carefully at what they've written off as a loss, you will find the numbers. Because um, when we've had to pulp books, it's because our distributors' warehouse have said, we're going to charge you a lot more money because you are carrying what we calculate to be a year and a half stock. Yes, I think the cost of paper, the rising cost of paper is going to make the big difference um, because publishers are already and have been for a year now making decisions about accepting books because it's going to cost so much. Yes, no, I think, yes, I think there are huge questions and that we're only just at the beginning of really understanding that and really thinking about how how it could be done differently. Because the other thing is at the, at the big end of the publishing industry, you know, when there is that debut author they think is going to be a huge selling book, then obviously they, they want to print a load of copies because this is this sort of idea that if you don't get those copies out in the first one or two weeks, then, you know, everyone will lose interest after that. I mean, who needs a book that urgently? Why do any of us need to lay our hands on that novel within the next three days if we had to wait a month while a copy was printed for us. Is that is that so bad? Is that such a problem? I just, I don't think it is. But I know that that's not how publishing works at the moment. No, and it's, it's driven by many, many factors. Right, I think we need to wrap it up. Thank you so much for taking part in how publishing works. It's been really good to talk to you. Yes, well, thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's an absolute, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. So, um... 